Welcome to episode 113 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Rula Cycli, who's the senior editor at Humble Arts Foundation. And I thought because things have changed so much since we recorded at the Society of Photographic Education Conference in Houston that I would call Rula and just do a little catching up to see how she's doing and to talk about a show that she curated at Access Gallery called Portraits Without People that we mentioned near the end of the recording, which of course had to shut down as did all things. Uh, So I'll just get right into it. I'll read a little bit from her bio and then we'll get right into the phone call. And then right after the phone call, you will hear the episode that we recorded at SPE in Houston. Sarula Cycli is the senior editor at Humble Arts Foundation and a writer and independent curator based in Berkeley, California. Her writing is featured on platforms including Aperture, St. Lucie, Strange Fire Collective, Temporary Art Review, SF Camera Work, and KQED Arts. She has curated exhibitions at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts, the Wattis Institute for Contemporary Arts, Triple Base Gallery, and Soma Arts. Her curatorial practice addresses contemporary photography and new media, social justice efforts in contemporary art and exhibition making. She regularly contributes to print and online platforms including Hyperallergic, Photograph, Bomb, and KQED Arts. And just one quick note, if you go to the Humble Arts Foundation Instagram account, there's a link to a list that they've compiled and they update to all the different print fundraisers that are going on for artists and organizations. So check that out. All right, so let's get into the phone call. There it is. Okay, great. Yay! Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm well. So I'm on video, but uh, you don't have to be on video. This is a podcast. That's a good thing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to emerge from this quarantine like... I, I should have just shaved my head before <laughs> this all happened so it could just grow back out, but now it's too late and I don't trust myself to shave my head, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the haircut grown out. You're Woo! gonna finally shave your head and then they're gonna lift the quarantine. Exactly. Yeah, my hair is getting pretty wild right now. <laughs> Um, how are your kiddos? How's your how's your wife? You know, everyone is okay. Thank you. And uh, good. You know, I shared some things online about our health and it is related to my trip to SPE. And that's part of why I wanted to call and catch up with you because I feel like things have changed quite a bit yeah. since we recorded at the uh, SPE conference in Houston, the Society of Photographic Education. And I think one, you know, when we were there, it felt like it was just starting to happen. Yes. You know, we were all very aware of um, you know, washing our hands and things like that, but we weren't uh, aware of where we'd be right now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it, I think about that, and it's a minor miracle, at least. And I haven't I haven't heard from people who attended, and I don't know if SPE or the hotel is is tracking data, this kind of data. I haven't heard that anyone got sick. Uh, if no one got sick, if no one contracted the virus, that it would be a minor miracle because. Yeah. There were so many, I mean, we were all gathered there and we were all in the hotel, which is in the mall. And just thinking about moving, like thinking about movement, thinking about contact, thinking about all the things that right now are, could be, can be deadly, you know, can be life-threatening. And just how easily we were moving through space and talking to people and coming in contact and all of the all of the things that shape conference life, yeah, were just you know, yeah. <laughs> it was, 
and it was and how different it is now like it's and it's not even two months ago so it's it's rather it's it's rather staggering to me when I think about that and that we all got very lucky that no one hopefully no one was exposed and hopefully no one got sick right so. I know I know SPE reached out and they asked if if anyone had tested positive so that they could do a little yeah. trace back and see you know who that you came in contact with so yeah when I started to not feel well I reached out to everyone I recorded with at SPE oh, wow. yeah. to oh, let yeah. them know. Right. Yeah, I was going through my what felt like almost like a, a, a stage of a 12-step program. Like a, <laughs> you know, or if I had herpes or something, it'd be like... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, I just want you to know that oh, uh, no. right, I have a little cold sore. I just want you to know. <laughs> but, uh, oh, dear. You asked me, you know, how the kids and my wife and everyone... Um, yeah. So I, I never had a fever and I never had a serious cough, just some dry irritation in my airways and some uh, first week, some pretty heavy fatigue. And oh, yeah, I think I had a mild version. And then my wife did pick it up probably from me. And, you know, I had heard that uh, some of my colleagues at, at Mercer at school uh, also felt, you know, like had a sore throat and, you know, things like that right before we all left. And so sure. it's impossible to, to trace, especially when they're, you know, no one's t- getting tested because they're not, they don't have a fever right. and they're not having trouble breathing. And yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be, it, it, I think it's going to be interesting, you know, when it's going to be very interesting when, when there is time and capacity to look retrospectively at this and get a sense of who might have, as you may have, you and your wife may have had mild cases, Mm -hmm. those who had very serious cases and were hospitalized, those who were so affected and, and ultimately lost their lives. And from a virological or epidemiological perspective, like I imagine this opens up a whole new branch of of research or study or just sort of understanding communicable diseases in in this day and age with you know as the planet as it stands right now and how we respond to that sociologically culturally like it's just going to be such a rich vein of study and if there's anything that anything good that comes of all of this that may be that may be some small segment of that goodness so right i don't know it'll it'll be interesting to be alive in the next like 10 to 15 years instead of see the way that that is translated and examined. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You know, this is our 1917, 18 flu. Yeah. Where, you know, uh, we think about all of our practices uh, yeah. and what we're going to do afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like it's going to be, yeah, you know, I'm imagining what that's going to look like artistically. I'm going to look, looking at thinking about that you know, in terms of photography, because that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about, just what projects will come of that. And the evident, the first ones where it's the first that I've seen where it's people photographing out, sort of walking around in otherwise, what would otherwise be heavily populated spaces that are now empty and that there are no, you know, there are people, but we're all we're sheltering in place. We're doing everything, hopefully doing everything we can to protect ourselves and our communities. And, but that there are suddenly in some ways, a whole new branch of a whole new subject for photography that, that opens up for photographers and how, how they'll address that beyond the obvious, you know, sort of empty spaces, like how old notions of isolation, loneliness, communication, um, how will these all be addressed photographically? And are those photographic subjects? So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And and, and before we we get to because that's a nice segue to the, your 
current one of the current shows uh, that you yeah. juried, Portraits Without People. But how yeah. are you, and how is your partner? Um, we're well. You know, we're we live in Berkeley, and we're trying to do everything we can to, you know, follow the guidelines. So we go to the grocery store, which is just around the corner from us. We'll go maybe twice a week mm. um, and try to just stock up on the things that we'll need. I mean, like it's, it's, I imagine it's the narrative that so many that are, that is familiar to so many people now, which is go and get what you need and then go back to your house and stay indoors and you know right. we <laughs> disinfect everything you <laughs> possibly can <laughs> yeah you know it's like we we go outside we go for a walk usually uh at night as the sun is setting which and it's a you know berkeley in the spring is this is the second spring that i've lived here and it's uh we're lucky to live in a place where people are so attentive to their front yards to their garden spaces like there's a lot that's blooming right now so mm. it's everything is so everything is so green and 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 fragrant and i mean there's this push toward renewal and toward life and in some ways it's such a it's such a a stark contrast to yeah. what's happening you know as far as a virus that is threatening you know lives millions billions of lives all over the planet at this point so there's this deadly viral threat juxtaposed against this, you know, the earth's push toward renewal and toward life. And so it's, it's quite a, it's a stark contrast and trying to, I don't mean to sound sort of like rhapsodic about it, but just trying to wrap my head around that, I think is what many people are doing at this no, time. So ab absolutely. I've, you know, I remember the first day I looked outside and I saw my weeping cherry in bloom against a, a blue sky. Yeah. And it's like, this belies like everything that's happening right now. Like, right. It's, it's like I <laughs> exactly. walked out into the twilight zone. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and everything, it just feels so everything outdoors for me, at least feels so, heightened at the moment like everything is more green and the sky is more blue and the rain is the rain set when it's raining here it just it sounds all the more um it just it sounds more intense i guess mm -hmm. so it's so yeah I, I imagine there are many people who are sort of experiencing that from the like just that where one of our where one of our senses the tactile like that we can't just go out and hug everybody that we want to mm. maybe our other senses are somehow more heightened um, yeah. right now. I don't know. It's no, no. I've it's never. Gonna, it's going to be interesting. I've never appreciated just sitting in my backyard more in my life. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And just these small and being outside these for you know not not long periods of time, but just the gift of being outside and being able to being able to move around, being able to be outside, like all these things that are just that. I've promised myself and I hope to make good on this promise to never ever take take mm -hmm. advantage of again when when we can be outside when I can you know stand on a platform here in you know Berkeley like BART is Bay Area Rapid Transit for anyone that doesn't live here um stand on a platform with hundreds of other people and instead of like cringing at the thought of like cramming into a <laughs> a train car, just being like, I get to cram into a train car with strangers <laughs> and it's okay. That's right. <laughs> no, sit Things right next I never to me, thought please. I would miss, you know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Right? Yeah. The you sent me a few links to post with the show and, and the first one was yeah. the one you're posting about right now that I, I recently reposted. Um Portraits of yeah, People. Thank you was that completely planned before all of this? 
It was. Yeah, that was. So I was invited to a jury, a show up at Axis Gallery, which is up in Sacramento. I was uh, invited by Nick Shepard and who I met through the Society for Photographic Education, a regional meeting, which is here, which was here last year at Santa Clara University down on the peninsula. And he invited me to to jury a, a show. And so we put out the open call, uh, I want to say November, Octo- October, November of 2019. And the call was simply, you know, portrait, portraits without people. And the the explanation I gave, which was just, you know, how do we can we expand the the definition of, of portraiture as a photographic genre to include images that don't include the human form? So that, and it was re- really like broadly, beautifully interpreted by those who turned their work in, those whose work like ultimately made the final cut and those that didn't. Like it was a really lovely, robust response that we had. And just, it was a treat to see how people interpret such a, a broad uh, prompt and one that challenges an established genre of photography, which is portraiture. I mean, it goes back to the origins of the medium itself. And people, you know, took it to mean the spaces we inhabit, the hobbies we maintain, the connections we have personally, professionally, the places where we live. Um, it just it, it was such a wide interpret. It, it was such a wide interpretation. I tried to capture that in the exhibition itself and. And I just wish that people could see it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's a a great show. Like, even if I, you know, must toot my own horn, like, and it's less about the curation and more about just the the, the strength of the the individual objects themselves and how they sort of came together in the final installation. Will the gallery uh, just extend it? Will they keep it up through the summer? I hope so. I don't know if Nick and uh, Doug Dertiger, who's the, who I think is, I think it's Nick and Doug who maintain the space. I think it's up to them as far as you know how they how how drastically they want to rearrange their exhibition schedule because I'm sure it was you know set for at least into 2021 so it depends entirely on what they you know want to do with it so and that's more than fair I mean if mm-hmm. there are, there are other artists other exhibitions that are you know will come up later in the calendar and they should have do they should have their time in that space and and I certainly wouldn't object to that at all yeah but uh, what I'm what I and the artists and you know what we're experiencing is happening all over the world like exhibitions you know at major institutions uh, thesis exhibitions for MFA and BFA students that are never going to be seen and and I feel really badly for these students because they've put you know years of effort toward this work and the moment of celebration where everyone's on campus to celebrate finishing either your bachelor's or your master's degree and to see your work and see your work exhibited with that of your peers and that it can't happen. Like that's just, that's heartbreaking, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) Feel really badly for the students who don't have that. You know, I I know what it felt like when I finished my master's degree and I was like, I was in tears. I was so happy, (laughs) you know, and I, I hope I, and just the relief, the sense of accomplishment and the final, um, you know, cherry on top of that, that Sunday, so to speak is, is exhibiting your work and, and that that is not an opportunity. Then, you know, there are online interventions, which I think make a lot of sense. And I think I'm glad to know that institutions are doing that for their students, but it's not the same thing. No, it's not the same when you invite I, yeah. my family and friends out and people rent hotels and you get to celebrate at yeah. the at the event itself yeah it's, exactly exactly it, it's and really just the sheer just the joy of commencement is you know finishing a degree it's a it's a unique experience and and there's really no matter how many sort of 
alternatives or substitutions that are acceptable in this time of sheltering in place. Like it's, yeah, it's just not going to be the same. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I feel for the, for the students who are unfortunately denied that opportunity right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and just, uh, one last note on the show, it, it it seems kind of prescient right now because we are, you know, our our world is landscapes without people. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I, I was looking back through, as I posted, you know, tried to post either every day or every other day on Instagram to just extend the reach of the exhibition. And so it's given me a chance to go back and look through a, the, the sequence, the final sequence that we chose, and then the larger bodies of work that these artists um, selected from, you know, to submit to the show and get a sense of a whole new, you know, all new bodies of work uh, well, that are new to me, at least. And to see, A, how artists are thinking through these various projects and then questioning, at least to myself and, and the rare opportunity that I get to speak with the artist about, like, why did you choose this particular image from all of these images from a project that's say dedicated to a, you know, a landscape like yesterday I posted uh, Preston Ganaway's work and the series between the devil and the deep blue sea. And she was living and working in uh, Virginia between, I think it was 2009 and 2013. And I am, I'm struck by how a prompt such as like portraits without people will spur someone to think like, Oh, this image or this body of work, this could be suitable for, you know, the submission and then they choose to submit because there's some, like, I would never have guessed looking at Preston's work, looking at the overall project between the devil and the deep blue sea. Like I wouldn't have guessed that she would submit to this open call, Hmm. but that she did. And it fits that the image that she selected fits so perfectly like of all of the images she could have chosen she chose the one that made the most sense for this and so the it's the interpretive um it's making that interpretive leap i think that i so much appreciate from artists to knowing that they're the strength of the work either the series itself or the singular image is enough to like capture someone's attention someone in my position which is the juror or the curator whoever you know however you want to describe that right um, so I, yeah, I, I appreciate sort of that. There's a, there's a sense of your own work and there's a sense of like how to, you know, ways in which I can respond to this or interpret this prompt that artists just, I think, have, like they cultivate that within themselves. And uh, it's a, it's a skill that I very much appreciate. And, and as a juror, like I get to see that work and sort of get to see that thinking, uh, just a hint of it in a hint of that artist's thinking sort of as it plays out. And that's always, that's a, that's a gift, really. It's one of my favorite things about this job. No, absolutely. And, yeah. and I know we talk a, a bit about that too on the, um, when we roll the episode that we recorded <laughs> together. But, so many weeks ago at this oh, point. Oh, I know. It feels like years ago. It's crazy. It's yeah. a lifetime ago, it feels like at this point. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, for checking in. I wanted just to see how, yeah, you were um, getting no, along. Thank you. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, Give a shout out to this show. I'm I'm going through the same thing. I have I have one of the largest shows I've ever installed at my gallery in Trenton. Oh wow! With guest curators uh, Yoav Friedlander and, and Donna Sterling from Float Photo Magazine. And oh, they're the best. Yeah, yeah, they're fantastic. And you know we had we had 50 pieces on the wall and 100 slides on a big monitor, and oh, we had wow. the reception, and that was that. The show, oh, the show shut down. The college closed right after the reception, and you know oh, so they've no. been yeah we've all been sharing online just like you yeah yeah. Do you think you'll extend the oh, the, the so, schedule for, yeah, I'm, for I'm the show? Yeah, I'm leaving it up all summer long because I've had to really – Good. Can, I've had to – I didn't – so I, I keep having to correct myself. I didn't cancel any show. I've moved all my shows later. Yeah. Oh, good. 
Yeah, so I still good. have, you know, artists who still want to show uh, next uh, fall and winter and spring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. That's something lovely about the sort of the nimble nature of, of mm -hmm. scheduling for, for smaller smaller spaces, yes. smaller institutions, is that it's it's not like a behemoth like MoMA or SF MoMA right. here in the city in San Francisco. It's like if you stick, you have to stick to a calendar. Whereas these smaller spaces like yours and like Axis up in Sacramento, like if the means are there, if the people who are managing it, such as yourself and Nick and Doug here in San Francisco, in Sacramento, if the means are there to do it, like you have a bit of uh, leeway, which is lovely. Right, exactly. And, you know, so, I, I tend to plan about a year in advance, but I always leave a yeah. few holes, you know, just in case. Just yep. in case. That's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good thinking on your part. You <laughs> didn't even know that pandemic would somehow right. suddenly like shape your entire calendar. Yeah. Who, so good thinking on your part, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> Indeed, you are. You are. You are. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank okay. you so much. I look forward to to listening to it and trying not to cringe through the sound of my own voice at this point. <laughs> oh, you sound fantastic. <laughs> We all do. <laughs> all right. Well, have a good day. You too. Okay. Thanks for this. All right. I'll talk to you soon. My name is Rula Cycli, and I am an independent curator and writer based in Berkeley, California. And more officially, I'm a senior editor at Humble Arts Foundation. Oh no, I, I, okay. I think I'm all right. I tried not okay. to work up too much of a sweat trying to get here. I'm like, but now I have to cross all of Houston. Yeah, <laughs> That's oh, what yeah. it feels like. <laughs> yes. This place is, I thought that the, the airport is huge, but this, the Galleria is, I mean, it's enormous. It's like several blocks worth of, like, it, it, I've never been in a mall so large. This is that Mall of America style where it's yeah. everything, right? Yeah. And there's, like, a, there's, there's an, an ice, ice rink downstairs. <laughs> there's an ice there's skating rink. There's an ice rink downstairs. I know. Well, I'm from, I'm from New Jersey, and uh, <laughs> we have, we just got, um, it used to be called Xanadu in the Meadowlands. Wow. And so we all still call it that rather derisively, but it's, a, it's now called the American Dream. And it is owned by the same people who built Mall of America. Wow. And it has a water park, a ski slope, oh uh, and all the high-end <laughs> stores as I'm well. I'm just stuck on Xanadu, and now <laughs> yeah. I have that song going through my head. Oh, that's an earworm, yes. Electric light orchestra. I'm like, great, and Olivia Newton-John, and oh, roller skating, yeah. and okay, we're doing this now. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, I am that child of the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I know it all. My So, uh, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, my very first album was a double set LP by ELO. <laughs> See, that's good. You have good taste in music. It took me, I used to look at my sister who is five years older than I am and say like, you did this to me. Look at what you did. But now, because, and she was an avid, you know, music collector and consumer. And, and so everything I, good and bad that I sort of downloaded into my musical consciousness came through her. Uh -huh. And I didn't really learn to appreciate ELO until right. much later, uh -huh. but I am squarely in the camp of Jeff Lynch, J Lynn, Lynch, Lynn being just, 
amazing. Uh-huh, like she is yes. a musical oh, no. legend. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you can't listen to that music and appreciate the what went into that music, the yeah. creativity, the orchestra. It was an orchestra. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yes. Yeah. If I could travel back in time, and yeah. that's a concert that I would very much love to have seen, was ELO sort of at their late seventies, early eighties, just exactly. like the pinnacle of their popularity. <laughs> I think if I. If I uh, inherited music from my sister, it would have been uh, Leif Erikson, the Bee Gees, uh, oh, yeah. and Kiss. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have a somewhat shameful appreciation for all things foreigner, thanks oh, to foreigner. my sister. It's like, thank you so much. I can only sing this to myself in the car when I'm by myself. Because right. I don't want people to know no. exactly, like, how much I appreciate <laughs> This hair band. <laughs> like, so thank you. For that. Yes. Well, <laughs> and you do know we're recording. Yes. <laughs> She'll know. She'll hear this and be like, I That's knew right. it. <laughs> well, we're, so we're at the Society of Photographic Education, the SPE, mm-hmm. and you do portfolio reviews and you've, you've been do. a member for a while? I've been a member of SPE for sort of off and on when I could afford it, sort of going all the way back to when I was a student. Um, and this is in the early 90s. Yeah. But uh, I'm not a maker myself, but I've very much interested in Oh, how... I don't know. I would contest that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't snap the pictures. I right. just appreciate and admire and talk Curate, to those who do. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, for, it's, the, it's the one uh, I belong to. This is the one organization, sort of professional organization that I belong to, albeit infrequently, but throughout the course of my professional career. And I just did, I admire its foundation sort of the the goals that the founders really uh, started off with and how that has carried forward in the last, what is it, 40 years now? Is that right? Yeah, it was. Something, is, it, this is an anniversary year, it I think. It is. I, I thought it was 50, but it maybe not. It might be 50, 40, I'm not sure. But, but, it, I mean, but to carry forward in such a meaningful way and that it is such a, a way for students and professionals and sort of people working in photo sort of across that mm-hmm. you know across the board have the opportunity to come together every year and it's it's a great opportunity to just see as much work and see as many people as possible yeah you know this yeah. is the only the second time i've ever attended oh SPE. wow I, oh okay I, when was the first time i had the chicago show oh, okay yeah and i never quite i couldn't quite figure out what i was supposed to do oh yeah <laughs> like, like it, it was it's you know someone out of school someone sure who uh teaches and 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 does other things i wasn't i wasn't exactly sure like what the the role was for for me and oh, yeah. and yeah. i didn't know anybody and i you know, I just could have wandered in and yeah you know and uh so um it took me a while but it it, it was at the uh, encouragement of friends who i'll, I'll be meeting later okay. who you know yeah. asked me to come back and said you should try it again and yeah and i'm having a great time i Good. must say i really am useful for you yeah and yeah just because it can be expensive to, to yes. travel and to partake of these things. And I know that SPE does all that they can to make it accessible for yeah. people across the board, like financially speaking. But it's still just because travel in this country oh, is yeah. expensive to begin with. So I'm glad I appreciate that the organization does its best to make it financially approachable for people. Because again, I do think it's a great opportunity for especially students to talk with curators, writers, uh, other artists, like just whomever. And there's such a wide breadth of industry representation that is attracted to SPE that I think, I hope that students who come like really are able to get the most out of, just get the most out of the opportunity itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And and uh, it's really the only thing like it. It's the only, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've been part of other, uh, other organizations. Uh, I really do love, and I, I like the, uh, 
college media advisors group, CMA. Yeah. Yes. They're fantastic, but they are very much journalism and photojournalism yeah. oriented. So, yeah. and which uh, interests me. And, and sure. I, I really loved taking, when I was an advisor for the college newspaper, I loved taking oh, nice. the students there. You yeah. Know, they had a great time and it was a great yeah. experience for them, but it wasn't, that was, it was very narrow focus. Going it is. On there. Yeah. Yeah. And SPE, I really, it does get to, not specifically fine artwork, but that there is such a concentrated attention paid to that and that, you know, students coming up through high school, BFA, MFA, and after, it really does, I think, uh, allow not just for that community, that sense of community, but gives people a sense of what, like what they can do with with the skills that they've cultivated and spent so much time uh, working on. So I think it it really fills a unique spot, I think, professionally. The the only thing I would recommend, and and maybe you'll agree or disagree, is... um, is that you come knowing a few people or yeah. at least connected to a few people. And now that, that, that I've done so. this podcast for four years, yeah. I know enough people I'll just run into them oh, yeah. when I'm at events like this. Yeah, so, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, yeah. it, it, it's such a, it is such a diverse organization in terms of what's here yeah. that it can be overwhelming if you're oh, here sure. on your own. Yeah. yeah, I think before I was affiliated with Humble Arts Foundation, I wouldn't have known what to do exactly because I am a freelance curator and writer. I don't have, as you mentioned, an institutional um, affiliation that makes that it would make sense for me to attend. But and and you know, trying to find like what does a writer do here? What does a right, curator do here? Right. So for Humble Arts, like I come to this specifically to do portfolio reviews for students, and a because it's just a, a fulsome time to be working as a photographer, sort of wherever you are in your educational path, it's a, you know, inevitably they're producing really interesting work. And so to be able to sit for admittedly 20 minutes is never long enough <laughs> to, to get to know someone, but at least it offers a glimpse at sort of, of what artists are, of what they're working on. And it gives me a sense of what's coming out of different BFA and MFA programs, primarily MFA, that, but yeah. it gives me a good sense of what's out there. Well, and I want to, I want to yeah. get to yeah. what you do in, in terms of uh, humble arts and, sure. and as a writing curator, but as long as we're on this topic, yeah. you do have a, a great perspective on what's out there and what's going on and what the work is like and, and the yeah. energy and the success of these programs. Yeah. What, like what kind of experiences have you had in reviewing work and what have you seen? Just like last year when we were in um, freezing cold Cleveland, (laughs) it was great, but I also had just a raging headache and cold and it was just, it was hard to, the day that I was there to review student reviews, which is like, get the day quill in there, you know, just marshal through it. You can do this. Like, (laughs) but, um, but what was great for me is that uh, there were just their programs at University of Iowa, um, Case Western Reserve, and these are all sort of close to where it was held last year in Cleveland. But it gives me a sense of at least what's coming out of, say, Midwestern programs mm. or programs that are sort of off the official sort of beaten paths. Yeah. And I happen to live, you know, in the Bay Area, and so there's quite a concentration there of museums and MFA programs and collectors and all of these things that support just work being made but they can't they're they're ne- they're certainly not the only places where really interesting work that needs to be seen and understood um where that's being produced and so what one of the things that I love about SPE is that I will see work from people coming out of you know Texas or Arizona or Utah or wherever that I yeah. might not have had access to otherwise and Sometimes I think that social media, specifically Instagram, like will fill a gap, so to speak. 
but even there, like it's simply too much to try to, like I can't constantly be looking at all of this and trying to absorb right. it. And something concentrated like SPE gives me a chance to just go a little bit slower yeah. and spend some more time with the makers and talk with them about it and see the work itself. And from there, get a sense of like, oh, I'd like to talk to this person for Humble Arts Foundation, or I'd like to think about their work in an exhibition setting. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it just, it creates that, I think, professional mental space that yeah. um, social media itself and the juggernaut that it is doesn't really allow for. I, I find, I have found great connections and people on Instagram and, yeah. and all but it's a it's a very different kind of energy trying to connect and look, find work on on Instagram or other social media but not right now Instagram really it's, absolutely it's, yeah it's a it's something very hectic and chaotic about yeah. it as a way of trying to find things it and is. look for things and yeah. and the and the random connections can be great connections yeah. but it's yeah. it is a, a much different process i think when you're not when you're trying to find out what's happening in an area or a place, yeah, it's not uh, based on uh, social media. There's, there's almost a little more sense of purpose to it, I think. Yeah, and it's I I definitely treat it as a a starting point. And if there is someone that I, someone that's new to me that I just you know happen across their work or someone refers it to me or it pops up on in someone else's post or whatever, I love that sort of organic spread that it that it promotes. But I try not to let that be my only exposure to it. If it's mm -hmm. something, and it it really does for me at least require like write this down. Yeah. Don't just like rely on your memory to say like, oh, you're going to go back to this and look at it in a month or something because that never happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I, my mind doesn't. No, no, you know, I, can't. I can't. I can't. You can't bookmark so many things. You yeah, just can't I can't inventory yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, you know, I I love that Instagram has turned into something that is so like image forward, or it's always been that way, but it's very image forward. It, oh, more completely. and more artists are relying on it in yeah. a way, like if you don't have an Instagram account. And if you don't have a voice, representation, other things, it's such it's exactly. such a great way to, to show. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of Everyday Royal America yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. And that's a perfect platform yeah. for giving voice to people in other parts of the country that don't absolutely. have a lot of venues. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Nicole Crane, shout out. There you go. <laughs> exactly. And so, and even just like, I knew that, but it was something that I hadn't thought about for, I'd, I'd heard it referred to before. I'm like, oh, I need to go back and, and check that out. And it's, so it's through that somewhat infrequent, but frequent enough stimulation to go back and say, oh, I need to look at that again. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, almost, it's like there's a pin and trying to like hold back <laughs> just the flood, <laughs> the sheer tide of every, yes, you know, all exactly. the visual information that's out there. Exactly. But like dropping a pin in it is mm -hmm. always a good idea. But, but getting back to that original thought, yeah. do you see regionalism in terms of the artwork, the photography that's coming out in different parts of the country? I, I do. I mean, I think it, you look at, um, I'll go back to um, University of Iowa because Rachel Cox and David Johnson, both of whom are here, are friends of mine. I admire their work. They're both working really hard to to cultivate, you know, a group of successive classes of incoming MFA students, but also keeping in mind, like, it's expensive. And yeah, how, yeah. like, what are the ways in which, what are the motivations, what are the incentives that various programs can offer to students? And I've never lived in Iowa. I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know what that means exactly. I do know that it's off of, you know, coming out of the Bay Area where just everything is so prohibitively expensive. And that includes education. It includes, yeah. you know, graduate education. I went to Columbia. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> yes. um, so if there are ways for students to get this top flight uh, education, like outside of those 
outside of Yale, Columbia, CCA in California, you know, Otis Mm -hmm. throughout California. Like if there are ways to do that, then that just broadens the, it it just means that there's more work that we ultimately get to see. And that's a way to, I think, capitalize on the connectivity that we all have through social media, through programs like, or, you know, through events like SPE, where it's like, it's, it gets out there and we're able to see just more of it. And programs like that, that are people like that, who are working to make these programs so appealing to students are really, I think, doing, that's a lot of heavy lifting. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of work, that's the kind of, I'd like to support that as much as I can. Or I think there are a lot of people in that, in my, who think about this as I do, which is how do we cultivate opportunities for students? How do we support those who are cultivating yeah. those opportunities and, for and students? And what do you tell them when they, you know, or for in my case, because I, I teach at a community college, what, yeah. do you, what do you tell the parents when they say, what are they going to do for a living? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like how, and the reality is, yeah, there are a lot of students that come out of these programs with, maybe you have a graphic design background. Maybe there are ways that you make money, you know, in addition to cultivating and furthering your creative art practice. Yes, the reality is (laughs) there, it's good to develop these other skills. Exactly. Yes. You know, but if you're not coming out of it with just crippling levels of debt, then that's a little bit easier for people. Not much, but it's a little bit easier. Right. And so that's that's another reason, I think, to support these just great programs and those who are conducting them and sort of thinking long-term about how do we help students sort of on the other side of this. Right, absolutely, yeah. 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 So you know, I mean, you come from a, or you're working in a community college setting. So, so you, yeah. you have a strong sense of that, it sounds Completely. like. Completely, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I and I don't sugarcoat it. You know, yeah. I talk, and I, I talk about my own, sort of experience. You know, I worked yeah. all kinds of, I, I tried to stay as uh, adjacent to photography as possible yeah. whenever I took a job or did a job. Yeah. And I've, I was a color printer. Oh, yeah. I, I worked in a science stock photo agency. Yeah. I, I worked in a, an equipment room, photography, oh, wow. as you know, when I was okay. in college. Yeah. I, I shot public relations for the college when I was there. I, uh, you know, so everything I tried yeah. to do, I just tried to stay close. Yeah. And, you know, it's worked out in the end. But, yeah. and then of course, there's freelance. There's, there's, never going to be um a limit to how many you know to 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 jobs and with portraits and weddings and parties and especially in your community absolutely yeah there's always some there there is always something out there and the hustle is i mean yeah (laughs) it's a lot the hustle is it, it can be draining but at the same time i think if there's a way to find sort of balance between what you do to make money and where your creativity sort of filters into that right into that work in addition to what you're doing you know on the not on the side but where your creative like the fine art visual aspect of it how that is cultivated like finding a balance in there is i imagine really That's, challenging it is yeah it absolutely is <laughs> for for artists but there's but there's there's always there's people who just manage to find a way to make it happen mm-hmm. and that is i d- i have a lot of respect for that cuz it's not easy to do like john feinstein yes he is curator. He co-manages, he co-founded Humble Arts Foundation. He has a job, you know, he manages and he's new father, like he manages to make it happen. So artists are some of the most resourceful people I've ever met. And I admire that immensely. And and there's community, one second. So vacuum, uh, we're in a hotel room and uh, there's (laughs) somebody vacuuming the hallway, I think. You, you may or may not hear that. I think you will. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's community. There's yeah. um, 
ways of supporting each other. Uh, yeah. I mean, splitting apartments. I mm-hmm. mean, as basic as that, just finding, yeah. a, you know, people who have a, a similar interest. Yeah. Who, you know, they get something and maybe they can help you get something after they have it. Yeah. There's a solidarity too. And I appreciate that. There's That's something that coming every year to SPE sort of reminds me of, which is like there's the College Art Association. Like there, there are certain, there are conferences that take place every year and some artists attend that, that happens to be more, that's more academic. But there is a, I don't know, there's, when I talk to my wife about coming to SPE, I'm like, it's just photo camp for nerds. And we love, we love each other and we hang out and we have these great conversations and we all just nerd out about it. Um, but in that way, like photo is, is real, is unique in that respect. And that I, I personally don't know of conferences that sculptors, painters, you know, graphic artists, oh, people right. attend right. for that, you know, and so SPE really is that really yeah. facilitates that, that sense of community. I do and, have a, a little theory about that. That's, oh yeah. What's that? That's maybe a little cynical. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> we have, um, we have a technology industry attached to what we do. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. there's, there's money in there. There's support for there. There's, there's, there's a desire to bring people together and promote yeah. your business. Absolutely. Yeah. And you yeah. go down to the exhibitor, you know, you mm-hmm. walk through the exhibitors, the gallery here or at any of the SPE gatherings and just the, I'm, I'm not a gearhead. I appreciate those who are, cause it's just, a, it's a, it's a branch of photographic knowledge that I have never committed myself to. Yeah. And it's dizzying personally, it but is. to just simply walk around and see what's on view, it really is like you, you, you're absolutely right. Like there is a link to technology that many other fine art disciplines simply don't need and don't have. Mm-hmm. And, but that photo sort of like is squarely in that or on that side or in that camp where the, the technical aspect of our community or representation in our community is there and therefore the commercial representation Always. is there as well. Right. Since so day it's, one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we are in some ways artists are subject to the, the commercial forces that sort of come from that angle. And then there's the commercial, the fine art side of things where it's like, how do you get your work into a gallery? How do you yeah. get your work in front of a gallerist? And well, so I think, I think our tools for the fine art photographer have always been the tools that were most successful for commercial use. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, that, that drove the invention in photography. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's what, I mean, from, for the casual viewer, it's if they know anything of photography, it comes through what they're seeing like every single day, like 24 seven, 300, you know, 65 days a year, <laughs> like at, at such a hyper accelerated speed. But the way that people come to photography, like it's just, it's ever present in our lives. Yeah. Even if they don't think about the, the technology behind it or the commercialism behind it. Like it's there. These are the two things that really drive it right. and put it in front of us. Just, and so just walk through the mall we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. so we're, you know, we're, and this is not, you know, a radical or new no, observation, uh, but it right. just, but it is. And so it's part of, you know, there's a, that's how people come to appreciate the visual image. And if, if they go beyond that to appreciate fine art, then in some ways they have that vocabulary. They have the vocabulary of looking already sort of inculcated even before they can work, even before they can talk in some ways. That's right. They are attuned to looking instead of speaking. And eventually those two sort of line up. But there's a way of approaching photography that other forms of visual art don't, don't break down that way. And, uh, 
And at the same time, people are like, oh, photography, it's not art. It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> what are you talking about? Simply because it's commercial doesn't mean that it's not art. Yeah. So it, there's there's that breakdown too. Yeah, That's a whole other podcast. Oh, it is. It's a, <laughs> it absolutely is because, because even the experience in Europe would be different than the experience yeah. here in terms of commercial work and what was fine art. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 It's it's unique. It's really, yeah. truly unique in the United States, mm-hmm. which is... You know, we can't we can't lump ourselves into like the the West broadly defined as the United States and right. Canada and Europe. But even in those two places, it's radically different than it is in the United States. And so in that way, for good or bad, yeah. we are unique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you said in the the nineties you were a student. Where were where were you a student? I was and in, what were you studying? I studied I went to Oberlin College in Ohio, shout out <laughs> to and I, I went there because I wanted to study art history. Like my I took an AP art history class my senior year, and I remember like the Jansons. Oh sure, just, just like volume one and up. two. Yes. Yeah, just opening up, and the thing it opened up to was uh, Goya's Saturn devouring his children. Well, that's an eye opener. And it was like, where, what is this? Like, but in you know, I'll be, I'm in my mid forties, and I've had some time to sort of like think about my own origin story as far as where visual culture, like where did, how did that start? And for me, like it goes back to, I was talking with my wife about this the other night, like sitting in the theater watching Star Wars when I was five and a half years old that summer. And like the scene at the end when the Death Star explodes and like that just shower of light. And this is one of those sort of wraparound theaters in Salt Lake City that doesn't exist anymore. But just sitting there and being like, and it literally like burned into my frontal lobe. And ever since then, like I've just been, I don't know, just fascinated with with human creativity, like visual creativity specifically. So it started there and I wanted to I wanted to study art history and Oberlin just was a great place to was a great place to do it. And it was it it hit like lots of sort of liberal hot spots, you know, lots of little buttons. Like it was the first to admit African Americans, the first to admit women. There wasn't a Greek system there as oh, of wow. the nineteen sixties. Yeah. Wow. Like there were right. there's yeah. a lot of like the social justice aspects of it that as a nineteen year old, eighteen, nineteen year old really appealed to me. And Are you from the West Coast or I grew up in Utah, actually. Oh, I grew okay. up in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Oh, wow. So and yeah. I still have family there and but yeah, it was uh, just I was instantly I was I was hooked. I'm like Oh, yes, please. <laughs> and I did, I remember doing a tour with my mom, did a tour of sort of small liberal arts schools. And uh, and that was the last one we attended or last one we visited. And she, she'd she said, she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure. She's like, this isn't anywhere close to a big city. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> where, where in Utah? Salt Lake City. Oh, you said that. Sorry, yeah, Salt Lake yeah, City. Yeah. So, Salt so Lake fairly city large. And, yeah, right, it's, right, right, it, yeah, yeah, and it's gotten, you know, considerably larger in the last right. two, two and a half decades. But still um, a she fairly like, are con- you sure? conservative state yeah. in general, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> and, I knew from a young age, I'm like, I'd like, I want to go to college if I can get out of state. Mm-hmm. And if that works with my parents, then I absolutely will. And, and we'll edit this out if you don't want to answer. Were you out already by that? Um, it's, it's interesting because my wife is, she transitioned five years ago. So I don't necessarily identify as straight oh, or not oh, okay. straight, I guess. Okay. I'm married to a woman because right. right. I love her to pieces, but I'm also, I, I'm not sure that I would call myself queer. Uh, yeah. oh, if only because... I I pause at saying that because there is a lot of um, there's so there is so much work that's been done around just people who are queer, who have fought and died for the right to identify as such. That's and the for discussion me right now. To like come in and say like, oh well, I'm queer too. Right, it's right. Like, 
no, I didn't fight yeah. for this. I didn't like, I didn't face discrimination for any of this. So it's with pause that I use that word, not because I think of it as like ill-fitting or right, like, right. like the slur or anything. I just, I'm more careful about it because it's like, mm, I come to this sort of through the back door. We're so in a, a very multifaceted time in terms of identity and yeah. how to be properly respectful of what came before yeah. and what's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's where we are. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's, it's with that in mind, I think, and not to sound like when I'm heroic, <laughs> it's more right. just, just try to be, just try to be mindful and you know, right. try to be careful around it and be for me and for my wife and people I know in our broad, in our mm -hmm. expanded community sort of like, what does what can I do that's most respectful and mindful of their experiences and not run, just not run roughshod over that right. is, is the goal, is yeah. one of the goals there. So, yeah. but absolutely proud of the relationship, proud of, could not be prouder of who <laughs> she is and like, just, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's something that I'm truly thankful for and very proud of, mm. especially her. So, yeah. 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 The, um, the work you do curating for hyperallergic, mm -hmm. When did that start? Mm. Oh, so I write for hyperallergic. That's right. Yes, I write for yes. them. I curate and write for Humble Arts Foundation. I'm sorry. Yes, that's Humble it. Arts. No, it's yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they supposed to start with an H. <laughs> Happy affiliation with both. Right? Like right. when I got my first, uh, when I placed my first piece, and it was with my dear friend Monica Weston, who's another writer in San Francisco. We placed our first piece there, and I was like. I've hit the big times. <laughs> I'm riding for hyperallergic, so it's uh, it's it's quite an honor to be part of that organization because there's 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 quite a few freelance writers that they engage, and I'm happy to be one of the ones in the Bay Area. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm lucky. I'm very um, fortunate. Before I before I jump ahead, uh, yeah. Did you then, uh, after Oberlin, go on to a doctorate, a PhD program? No, I, I started at the University of Arizona in the art history program there and was just, I was there for the master's degree and there were certain like events in my life that just, mm -hmm. there was a marriage and that took me away from Arizona and the think, and the thinking was, oh, I can, you know, finish my degree, you know, at a distance and. That yeah. didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. The marriage didn't work. You know, so all kinds of things were sort of like thrown up yeah. as potential obstacles. But it was, it was ultimately a, a really good learning experience, and just the the sense of, for me, I had tied so much of my identity and my success to what I did as a student, and to have that not work out the way that I had thought that it would, was, it was a tough lesson, but it was absolutely in hindsight, like absolutely worth the, and, the experience. And, and that's part of the greater story of yeah. something you, you would talk about here at SPE, right? Yeah. 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 Right? Absolutely. It's because we, I talked, when I talk to students who want to teach, I always tell them, now you have to have your MFA if yeah. you want to teach in art. Yeah. And, but that's not, you know, that's not always the right path for everyone. Not necessarily, not yeah. for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I did go on, I finished the curatorial practice program at California College of the Arts. Oh, okay. Um, in 2012. Yeah. And it was, it was a good fit um, because I knew some of the things that my time in Arizona taught me, which was as much as I, I love the, the history of the medium itself, the makers, all of its problems, like all of, like it's such a rich it's such a rich moment mm -hmm. in human history and creative history. But I knew that I wanted to be working with living artists. And much of what goes into the MA and PhD is like, it doesn't, it's not strictly limited to the historical side of it, but 
I think for me, working in practice, writing and curating, working with living artists was something that really just appealed to me. And the time that I was there, that's another sort of learning lesson that came out of that experience of Tucson. No, I do want to be working with with living artists and I want to be part of a current dialogue instead of something that is looking retrospectively. And yeah, and so curatorial practice at at CCA was was a good fit. Mm-hmm. It was a really good fit. So yeah. I'm I'm again another great opportunity that I'm I'm thankful for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So normally before I I record with someone, I do a a lot of background yeah research and things like that, and yeah. I didn't have time. No. Well, <laughs> here we are under the wire. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I did see very quickly is that. Um, you were very early to recognize the work of Lisa Rivera with her her, oh, yeah. her subject, uh, her, oh. her muse, uh, B.J. Lillis. Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan oh, of, so of good. them and the work and, yeah. and everything they do. Oh, yeah. That work is extraordinary. And she is an amazing curator. Like, Museum of Sex in New York yes. is one of my hands-down favorite venues in that city that is yeah. replete with just luminous, luminary, so, luminary institutions. You, I think... I think Museum of Sex for a very long time, and and uh, no disrespect, but it was almost like a a punchline in a yeah. way. Like people didn't take, think of it as a serious museum. Yeah. And boy, the work she does there is incredible. It's extraordinary. And she worked with the, if I remember correctly, she worked with the Stanley Burns with Stanley Burns in his archive, and like he is an amazing and truly eclectic collector. <laughs> He's a doctor. He collects you know, images, historic images relating to like the practice of medicine. And so she comes to it from, she has just a a really, a a truly unique background as far as how she thinks as a curator and then how she works as an artist. And like the two seem to depart. I mean, the more I imagine the more time I spend with her, if I'm ever so lucky as to like sit down and chat with her would be to like, how does, how does the work you did with the Burns archive if at all, influence what you do. And there may not be any overlap at all. Um, but her work with BJ is yeah. so, is just, ooh, uh, it's breathtaking, really. Mm-hmm. Like, And it was, it came onto my radar around the time that my wife transitioned and, and just acknowledging that there are so many gaps, representational gaps in contemporary photo and in, in, and in historical photo history, she really is so beautifully filling that gap. And it's, it's one artist, it's one, you know, her one subject, you know, but it really is like, it's, it's gained such traction and appreciation among audiences that there is, that it's doing double duty in some ways. Like a, it's a, it's a beautiful series, portrait series about this person. And B it's addressing like how, just how wide those gaps in representation are as far as queer identity, trans identity, like that she is getting, that she is really filling a niche there with that. Yeah. And I think I've often told my students that, you know, we, we had early modernism and a a sort of middle modernism and later modernism and a postmodernism and, and a post postmodernism, but, but there's, there's now space and room for everything, a lot of everything. Yeah. And I think, I think Lissa's work with BJ's, is such a blend yep. of everything. It is. <laughs> and, it really is. A beautiful is. blend. Yeah. 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 She has such a, a, an exquisite sense of lighting and compo- like just oh. the compositions are mm-hmm. so, they're so lush. It's the history of photography. In it there. really is sort of yeah. condensed into this one series, yeah. you know, and it gets to femininity. It gets to like the notion of the female gaze. It, it interrupts what the male gaze is. And she, 
she co-curated an exhibition that went up and called Not Safe for Work that was at the Museum of Sex. Yes, I saw it. Which, yeah, yeah which, which was an extraordinary show and and brought to me so many artists that I had never, that had never been on my radar and I now am just like wild for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, if nothing else, I'm so appreciate, I appreciate that so much. But that she, that she is thinking through so much of, so many of these large sort of landmark Mm-hmm. issues in the history of art and the history of photo right. and sort of bringing them to bear in a lot of the work that she does both in her practice and as a curator mm-hmm. and luckily like the museum of sex is that is that uh is that physical space for it yeah and I, um, I i she probably doesn't want me to say this but somebody <laughs> needs to throw money at them and get them a book yeah i would very much i would yeah. love to see that series as yeah. a book i mean i've seen a few of the objects a few of the individual pieces exhibited and they're breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see, you know, and it, because they're sort of like the, the big production value, the default in my mind is like yeah. MacBooks or Tashin or, but fight in Tashin. Yeah, right, exactly. Right? <laughs> but there's also like, I do a lot of, or I've, I've had the good fortune to work with Chris Graves. Oh, Chris wow. Graves projects. Yeah. Yeah. And if he produced a book, mm-hmm. um, it would, so like it, that. It should be big and lush and yeah. everything else. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, the reality for someone working at the scale that Chris does, it's like to do a large, you know, publication, to do a book that size and at that number is, I mean, it's just, it's prohibitively expensive. Yeah. And part of the way that he not gets away with, but like mm-hmm. manages that challenge is like, these are short run, they're yes. short run books. You know, they don't have, I don't think he produces more than, I want to say like, 250 to 500 at a stretch and all of almost all of this is out of pocket for the man wow and it's you know it, it's all like it's reimbursed through through sales and all but mm-hmm. it's a i mean it's a he operates in a world that is really expensive and hard to break into and he's done just a bang up job wow, doing it yeah. like john chris and i produced a book last year called on death oh yes that was yeah, yeah so yeah, that yeah. was um yeah. which was a pleasure to produce and when that like that came out of an open call for an exhibition, yeah. an online exhibition for Humble Arts Foundation. Right, right. And Chris came to us and said, "Would you be interested in producing a book?" And we said, "Of course." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you crazy? Um, so, and so and we two did. previous guests of mine are in that oh, book. Uh, Tony you... Tony Chirinos. Oh, I love his yeah. work. Yeah. And, and Paolo Morales. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And we were we got so lucky with the number of artists that submitted their work and then like narrowing it down is one of the hardest things yeah. <laughs> I've ever had to do because the work, the quality of work was just so high, like across yeah. the board, there wasn't a bad submission, like of the however many that we got, like <laughs> there, it was, it was true. And I'm glad that I had two other people to be much more like critical than I yeah. was. I'm like, let's just add them all in. This will just be 800 pages. It's fine. People will love it and it's great. That's no. right. If um, I love it, they will love I'll it. I'll love it and then everyone else will love it too. Um, but it was it was a wonderful, it was a great experience. And when, when the book landed on the Time magazine, like the 30 best right. last year, like we were just like, <laughs> like I remember I woke up that morning and so Chris is in New York and, uh, John is in Seattle and I'm in Berkeley and like there had already been just this flurry of texts and I woke up and I'm like 15 text messages. I'm like, who died? What happened? What am I about to like be? What am I reading? But this was all about the book instead. And and it took me, I don't know, five minutes. I was looking at the the Instagram hashtag, which is just the at and then time. I'm like, 
That's Time, Time Magazine. The like, Time, right. <laughs> that's Time Magazine. <laughs> right. Um, but it was, you know, it was it was a thrill to see how many small imprint books like made it onto that list. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a it's a variety. There were there was a there are a few Mac books, there are a few Tashin books, but that we were in that category, so to speak, that we had sort of that we were in that caliber of book yeah. books made about photography was a highlight. It was an absolute brilliant end to, mm-hmm. to 2019. So yeah. yeah, we were lucky. I um yeah. Listeners already know I run a, the JKC Gallery, which is in Trenton, New Jersey, yeah. Oh, yeah. part of the school. And uh, well, John, so John is in that show through Float Photo Magazine. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah. But I had shown Tony Torinos' work there, mm-hmm. um, a series he did on uh, a small island off Colombia on cockfighting, where he has this connection oh, yeah. to, this uh, family yeah. connection to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we got protested by animal rights activists. Oh, really? Because they claimed we were oh, promoting, promoting cockfighting. It. Yeah. <laughs> Without ever seeing the work, by the way. Yeah. yeah You're yeah, like, yeah. that's not exactly yeah, what yeah. that is. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at that series recently. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, the imi- it was the images that he submitted to oh, that open show. And I'm like, oh, I love, and so you love someone's work and you want to know more about it. Yeah. And that's how I ah. got to know more of Tony's work. And it, I'm still trying to absorb it, but it was, I'm, I can think of at yeah. least a few images from that series yep. that is, he's extraordinarily talented. Yes, yes. And that image was one of the ones that Chris, John, and I were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're deaf. <laughs> we did all of this mostly by text. Right. And, you know, there would be points at which We'd be like, yeah, someone advocate for this, and two other people say no, mm-hmm. and so it's cut. But all three of us were just like right. all over that particular but image. He's a good story too, in yeah. terms of how you build a life and a career yeah. by doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And he started a sort of photography program inside a surgical unit in a hospital, and yeah. that's how he ended up with all those photos of surgical tools and the morgue and everything else and yeah. surgery. And yeah, but it was it was a way of uh, also making a living at the same time. Yeah, yeah. that whole I'm I just found that out or just read about that. And uh-huh. I was like, wow, because <laughs> that is <laughs> I mean, that is that is such a that is such a unique way of of making that happen for right. oneself. Right. But you're also potentially exposed to just some of the craziest things that we as human beings could ever see. Yeah, are are not meant to see wow. the insides yeah. of ourselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And he and he that's something that I would very much like to just like find out more about mm-hmm. him from that and be like, how do you how do you do that? <laughs> it's not the most like critical or intelligent question, right, but like right, how right. do you do what you how? do? <laughs> how do you like you reckon with like exis- these existential questions like every day? Right. How do you do that? So, but yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So let's uh let's go to humble arts. How did you connect? How did you So I was and when I was at CCA, um, a fellow artist, a woman named Stephanie Halmos, knew John Feinstein. And I was interested in, you know trying to write for as many different publications as I could. And she said, oh, you should talk with my friend John. And so I, you know, sent him a note and just said, hey, I'm here in you know, Northern California. Stephanie Halmos is in mutual connection. Would you be interested in sort of taking, would you be interested in uh, receiving a review? He's like, oh, yeah. So I pitched, uh, which at the thinking about it now, I'm like, why did I do that? Because it's so much work. But <laughs> right. I wanted to do sort of a roundup of That's how work. I do everything, by the way. Yeah. You have to dive in and not just think like, about the consequences. Get in there and yes. make it happen. Um, just I wanted to get a sort of do a, not a summary, but like uh, write about some of the work coming out of the major MFA programs. And so 
Northern California, that's San Francisco Art Institute, California College of the Arts, Stanford, Mills, SF State, and Berkeley. Mm. And I'm like, I'm just going to review all of the end and like MFA shows. And like May, <laughs> oh, wow. like March through May is just like mayhem. Of course. All of the yes. MFA shows are up. You're like, well, how do I write about and there, this? And they're, everything's at the same time. <laughs> and, and if you don't get to it, it's it's down. It's like yeah, you miss yeah. it. You're, it's yeah. up for three days and then it's That's gone. That's right. You know? And so that was, that, was, uh, sort of, that was ambitious on my part. I'm not <laughs> sure that I would do it again. But, uh, but, it get, but it really was, for me, it was great because I knew that, say, Catherine Wagner is at Mills, mm-hmm. but n- had never really had the chance to interact with her. And so it gave me a chance to spend some time there and really get to know more just of the professors and students coming out of these various programs. Like CCA is my alma mater. And so I knew those professors and some of those teachers or uh, some of the students coming out of that program more immediately. But there were others that I just hadn't just hadn't had the opportunity to to get to know. And so that that review as sort of balls in the air juggling as it was, <laughs> yeah. um, it really helped me further cement connections to m- more people in my immediate, in the arts community, mm-hmm. photo-specific community. And it just sort of like built out from there. And I've I've said often, at least to my friends and people I work with, which is just to say, I am very fortunate to work with those that I do. Like I'm thankful to be in good standing with so many people in the Bay Area arts community because it is so broad and deep and there are so many people working on so many different projects that are just like you want I want to get to know and um I'm just lucky that they will answer my questions from time to yeah. time <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way I feel about New Thanks. York yeah, I, mean, I appreciate this because I know you're busy <laughs> that's exactly when I you know when I started doing this show I you know I I, I was fortunate to be in New York yeah. I was fortunate to have the School of Visual Arts sponsor the show and oh wow yeah. so when you say I record at the School of Visual Arts you don't just sound like a schmo you know with a microphone yeah, you know? yeah. that's a so big deal it, 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 SVA it helped is a lot huge. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Charles Traub. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) SVA is a big deal. It's Mm -hmm. a, and it's, it's when I, I try to spend some time in the summer, usually the summer in New York, um, as much as I can and just see what's at as much, see as much as what's up around the city, but also like what's going on at these various schools, because there's, there's always so much like ICP and SVA and Tisch and just all of these schools. There's always something just amazing to look at inevitably. So it's and a, a lot, yes. yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot, and it's it's the feeling of it just reinforces for me like I will never ever see everything, and yeah. I will never ever know everything, and that's hard. But it's like, all right, I'll do my best <laughs> <laughs> to try to get a handle on all of this. And it goes way down after you have children. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> yes. How many kids do you have? Two, 12 and eight. I already feel guilty uh, being here in Houston with my wife at home. (laughs) Are they, do either of them, have either of them picked up a camera or? They're very interested in what I do. Mm -hmm. And I've taken them to shows and I've brought them to classes quite a bit, actually. Yeah, yeah. And so they they have that interest in it. And they're, and this podcast is as close to uh, like being a YouTube star in their minds. Sure. You know, that's close. That's it's right. closer than I'll ever get, which is good. So they, which is good. Th- th- their connection to this is kind of like a social media TikTok connection, you know? Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they're fascinated by it. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I've t- although I have taken my, I took, I made the mistake. I used to take my son out when he was a baby. Yeah. Uh, in a uh, baby Bjorn. Oh, yeah. And I practically rest the camera on top of his head while I was photographing. <laughs> Like I'm a prop, I'm right. a kid, whatever. Right. I'm both. But uh, 
<laughs> I um I, I recently took him out um photographing with me because he was home and uh I'm I'm doing this I'm photographing the Passaic River in New Jersey oh, nice. and I'm trying to I was trying to find this spot which six months have gone by and I still haven't haven't found the right spot yet yeah. but but <laughs> he was so bored and so I mean I think I turned him off completely of ever going oh, out with no. me again for photograph. <laughs> 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 yes. I mean, he saw the craziness of trying to find something as a photographer, yeah. walking towards it, walking behind it, walking away, getting back in the car, going somewhere else. Wow. It was, I can, I mean, it was very frustrating for him. That's also, I mean, a view, not to, you know, presume to speak yeah. for a kid, but just he's seeing how his parent works. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, I'm not sure of what your wife does, but like, maybe your kids don't go to work with her. But, yeah. but yeah. the opportunity to see a parent at work no, and no. that there it, is, it, yeah. especially in a creative endeavor, realizing or, you know, fully, un- as fully understanding as much as they can at 12, right. what, what goes into the really hard work of producing maybe one image, Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of footwork. It's a lot of trial and error. Like it's really is learning. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the lesson, maybe the most profound lesson that comes out of that is like, Failure is as much a part of success, you know, really yeah. long-term success, personal success as anything else. Photography is mostly failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And if he's seeing that, like yeah. maybe he can articulate that at 12. Maybe it's into his 30s before he gets right. that. But there's 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 something about that that I think lodges into a person's and, psyche And never somewhere. giving up. I mean, yeah. he still knows I'm still going out on the weekends looking for this spot. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Climbing up hills. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I mean, I don't have kids, but I imagine yeah. like modeling that for kids, however you do that, you know, is, that's a profound lesson for them. Yeah. And that's, I, th- I think, if I understand it correctly, it's one of the responsibilities of parenthood. And, and it's one of the reasons so, why I like yeah. taking them to my classes as well, yeah. because teaching is is such a vulnerable pr- profession in sure. so many ways if you're if you're doing it kind of honestly yeah. right oh, yeah. you're not bullshitting your students oh yeah you're you know and it also humanizes me to my students yeah. i think as well yeah. right they see you as yeah like <laughs> yeah. you are the authority but you're also right. like you're this you're a dad you're a parent like yeah. you're managing all many of the things that they might be managing too I remember my uh I think my daughter was 6 or 7 at the time and yeah. she wrote on the dry erase board i like mommy better <laughs> I hope it took a photo of that. I oh, really I did. did. Like, oh, I, I did. I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> like, thanks, kid. That's right. At least you're honest. Yeah, my, I appreciate that. And my students loved it. <laughs> well, it sounds like your class is like a lot of fun. Like, I try to, I yeah. try to make it very open. What for class? Everyone. What do you, what, uh, what oh, classes do you teach? So I teach everything from black and white photo through documentary photo. Oh wow. Okay. The only thing I don't really teach is uh, studio photo. Okay. And I stopped teaching history of photo a couple of years ago because there okay. are people better at it than I Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like no, art but... history people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but that... So you do... Do you do manual and digital? And digital, everything. Oh, wow. You Absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And as far as, um, I don't know, kids... Or I shouldn't say kids. Like I'm mm-hmm. imagining that you're working with populations of everything like a from wide, high school yeah. to 50 year olds. A wide to, age range. To um, yeah, and wide age range, wide ability range, yeah. wide everything range. Right? Oh wow. Yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm that's... near Trenton, New Jersey. I'm in between Princeton and Trenton, so yeah. that's my demographic. Okay. Uh, do you find Do you find that there are students who really do? They're like, I want to go to SVA or wherever. Yeah. You know? Do you find that? they come if they're coming through your school sort of as preparation like is that 
fruitful for you as far as like how you teach? Like, does it does it mold your at a pedagogical style at all? Like in dealing with students, particularly who have aspirations to go on and you know either finish at SVA or do graduate work somewhere else. Like, yeah. how, does that shape so of how you approach it? You at, at a community college because it's open enrollment. You get a lot yeah. of students who. Um, either know going in they want to do photography or they fall back to photography because they didn't do well in something else. Uh, And after two years, they could be exactly the same student. Yeah. You know, and or they go on to something completely different. And so what you have to do as a a faculty member, as a professor in a community college is is be really open Mm -hmm. to hearing them where they want to go and not constantly say well you need to transfer to sva you need to transfer to cca actually comes to mercer to recruit yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um so because i have such enthusiasm for something like sva you know which which was my alma mater um you know i have to i have to temper that i have to i have to remember that first of all it's expensive yeah (laughs) you know i'm sending them to new york yep. and that's expensive yeah absolutely and so if they want to go i'm um, i'm like a cheerleader sure uh and if they're on the fence i, I have to be very frank with them about costs and everything yeah. else and if they want to go and become a, a a large animal veterinarian i have to, i have to love that too you know sure. and i support that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah I, I would imagine um just teaching in uh in a community college setting, like you are going to see, as you've said, you're going to see so many different people, A, of, you know, representing different demographics and age ranges, but also like students, you know, in quotations, traditional students sort of coming to you, right, right. like immediately after or high shortly school. after college, you know, high school ends, mm-hmm. like that you are, that you're also capturing them or interacting with them at a time that's a really, I mean, Sure, challenging in its own way, but fulsome too, because there that creativity is like, oh yeah, how am I going to harness this? And yeah. like, do I, you know, move forward in this direction toward you know large mm-hmm. animal veterinary practice or toward this as right. photo? Like, <laughs> so that I mean, it's it's a really it's a it's a dynamic time in someone's life, I and imagine, and you're it, seeing a lot of that. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's a lot of fear, you know, fear of making the wrong decision. Sure, yeah, because yeah. they're often coming from fairly um limited means yeah. and opportunities yeah and so it's a big decision for them yeah. yeah i think if i if i ever went down the path of teaching and i've thought about this and i'm not sure how i would do that necessarily but that's the kind of school that i would like to teach at a community college level and for me it would be art history or mm-hmm. you know history of photo or something um but i would love to interact with students at that sort of because there because there would be so many different types of students i guess i yeah. would you know broadly say like d- interacting with in a classroom setting would yeah. be really really interesting and sort of understanding their motivations for taking a certain class that would be fascinating too so yeah it's, it's a, there's a real mission involved with it yeah yes. yeah no i imagine there is <laughs> so the um what um what have been the sort of the latest uh projects uh things you've curated for humble arts so you had the book and yeah. Right, so we had the death. book. The next thing, the next. Uh, so we do quarterly uh, online exhibitions. The one that we're about to start, uh, sort of the final edit. Um, it's uh, it's just it's basically about cliches. Oh. And uh, there's a lot of humor in it. There's you know because cliches, especially photographic cliches, there's more than we can count. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, but it really. But we put it out to artists to really like take on the challenge of. Why, you know, 
what are cliches? What are visual photographic cliches? Is it a, it's, you know, it's a sunset or it's a, you know, a certain cloud formation or this or that, you know. Swans so, on the lake. Yes. Swans <laughs> on the lake or like your grandmother's hands, you know, and all of these are, you know, they do fall into that category, but there's also, John and I have been talking about this and it was uh, another artist, Brittany Kathy Adams, someone I was, someone I've had the chance to work with recently. We were walking through the Museum of, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Denver and we were talking about cliches, and I had said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And she's like, well, I, would, I was thinking about if you're the person that stands in the same place as, say, Ansel Adams and photographs Half Dome, you know, why are you standing there? It's like, well, it's an established, it's like the path in some ways already exists. And she made a really, really smart observation, which will probably make it into the essay, which is to say, like, we, or photographers, seek a certain, not just, not authorial, uh, um, recognition, but like someone as well-respected and well-known historically and contemporaneously as Ansel Adams stood here. So by standing in that same spot, then you are part, mm. there is in some ways like you, the image or the motivation behind the image will already be signed off on because, you know, someone better than you did it before you did. And so, and there's truth in that, like there's an authorial sort of aspiration there, which is, which when you think about creativity and photography, like, or any art form, really, the desire is to be like the one and only person who's ever done that. So that, I think, in some ways coexists with, but at the same time, we want recognition for what we do. And in standing in the same spot where Ansel Adams stood, like, it's almost automatically conferred upon us. It may not be consumed the same way that an Ansel Adams image would be or is, but someone somewhere says, oh, they had the good sense to stand there. So thinking about the writing coming up, thinking about the essay, that's going to be a lot of fun because yeah, yeah. it's so easy to just say, oh yeah, cliches and like it, it's in and out in one ear and out the other. But then to really sit down and you know, like sit with it for a while and to write about it is going to be a whole other endeavor, which I'm really excited about. I, I think there's a real sort of biochemical connection to the oh. idea of the cliche. The oh, I, yeah. Because it's triggering synapses. You're reminded mm-hmm. of something you liked something that you thought was successful, something yeah. that you've marked in your mind. Yeah. And so you, when you see that image, yeah. it's, it's the same that it's, I think it's the same experience in a less original way that yeah. when you find the photo, it mm-hmm. sort of clicks in your mind. Yeah. But here you're, it's clicking in your mind because it already looked like a photo yeah. when you got there. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, that, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's it's we're sort of cultivating or, or acting on what, you, what we were talking about before, which is like this pre-verbal sort of mm. understanding of the image in some ways that it's baked into us in some ways that we can't even articulate yeah. necessarily. And and you grow up, you spend a long enough time like with just marinating in this visual world that we live in Sooner or later, you know, it's going to, it, it, something will trigger for you in a way that it maybe it never had reason to or never had the motivation to before. And so like, oh, there's that, you know, whatever that thing is, you're act, acting on or thinking about something that you might not even, it's not even cognitive necessarily, right? which is really powerful. And it speaks to, and the word insidious is not always positive, but like the insidiousness of the image and sort of the way that it gets into sort of you know, yeah. that, that, you know, Christopher Nolan film, Inception. In that way, it's sort of like once it's in there, like it's never coming back out. <laughs> like yes. it's baked in <laughs> in such a way that you can't really escape it. So it's going to be a lot, that's going to be a lot of fun to yeah. look at. So I'm, I'm, and people who submit to Humble Arts, like they never, 
it never fails. Like the work is always just top flight. Like mm. we are so lucky to get the images, to get the submissions that we do because it's just outstanding work. Yeah. I mean, there's some just great work being made and that sometimes they show it to us and we're really lucky that we get to see it. So this will be an online show. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So that's, that's the next thing upcoming. I curated a juried show, uh, at access gallery in mm. Sacramento, which is just about to open. Um, we just installed it before or laid it out. I should say like two days before I came to Houston. Oh wow! And so it's like, Sacramento, back to Berkeley, <laughs> like a lot of driving and then some flying involved. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was that was a lot of fun. That the prompt for that was portraits without people. And I John John Feinstein had he's like, Oh, I've had this idea sort of kicking around in my head. If you want to use it, go ahead. So we did and put that out to people who were interested. And basically it's like how how do we define ourselves? How do we define an image? How do we define ourselves if the human, if something recognizable, as recognizable as the human face or body is not in the image? Like what are the other things that sort of start to shape us in terms of portraiture? And can the definition of portraiture flex to oh, include yeah. something beyond strictly the human, the corporeal uh, presence in a photo? And we got some great images that back. Sounds, that sounds really interesting. I, yeah. This is not exactly that, but I always tell my students. Yeah. The face and words are always the first two things we recognize in a photograph. Absolutely. What's the yeah. third? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure I could answer that question. Yeah, that's yeah. A, and that's something I'll take with me out of this interchange. Mm -hmm. Is just what's the third? I'm like, I can I can guess, I don't know. but I don't know. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really really good question. Yeah. So, and how I mean, how do you find your students? Can they can they come up with answers like at the beginning of a class or at the end of a semester? Like. No, I we, imagine it's a very different experience from beginning to end. Yeah, no, we. It, that's the the goal of that is to um, is to reinforce the idea that you need to use the whole frame. Oh yeah. And so, um, you know, you're photographing people. I know, but remember, there's more than just the face, and there's you know, it's a it's a oh, basic yeah. lesson on how to take advantage of the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Excellent. That's, that's a great question, too. Yeah. It sounds like, it, I, obviously, you love teaching, but that's a really, mm -hmm. that's clearly evidence of why you love working with students so much. It's like, get them thinking about this stuff. Yes. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So have I missed anything? I think you got it all, my friend. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for uh, making this time. Oh, uh, no. Thank I you for I'm this not, opportunity. I hope I'm not keeping you from anything No, right now. no, no. Okay. I mean, there's more, there are more artist lectures this afternoon and portfolio reviews tomorrow oh, um, good. for the students. But uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's kind of camp. So yeah. I get to go and be like, That's right. oh, what are we doing next? <laughs> okay, I'm going to go listen to this person. Yeah. Like I just came out, the last thing I did before I came to see you was listen to Odette England speak about her book that's upcoming, mm. Keepers of the Hearth. Oh, okay. Which if anyone listening to this, like if you can get your hands on it, because she, so the premise of it is Roland Barthes, Kimberly Sita turns 40 this year. Oh, wow. And she, so she put out a call to, it started with like 50 artists and then all, many of those artists referred others that they knew and sort of it, it built up this momentum. And basically it says like the prompt was paraphrasing, what does Barthes' uh, description of the winter garden image, which we never see in his writing, in the book, we only ever, we only know of it through his description like mm -hmm. what do what basically what does this book do for artists like why is it so confounding and motivating and creative and inspiring like all these years later like why is this one of those just Keep foundational yeah, yeah books that so many primarily photographers but a lot of writers like 
I have a dog-eared version. I'm sure there's so <laughs> many. I'm sure you do. Like Absolutely. there's so many artists who, and people who are interested in, confounded by the practice of photo and the image itself that go back to this. And so, so she was here today, like speaking on the book itself and just some of the, the way that she structured her presentation was instead of reading like their essays by, there's an introduction by Charlotte Cotton. There's a, an essay by Lucy Gallen and Doug Nickel. Ha, like instead of that, she read some of the uh, emails that she got from the artists who said yes, a few who said no. And like, that was her entire presentation. And there wasn't a single person in this, you know, large auditorium who was looking at their phone. Like they were looking at uh -huh. her and they were looking at the images as they came up. And just so to speak to how riveted all of us were about this project ultimately goes back to like, why are we still interested in BART? Like here's 10 reasons why, you know? Mm. So it's, you know, that's the last thing I came from. And it's all, you know, wrapping all of this up just to say like that SPE offers this kind of mm. programming is... There's really nothing else like it, and yeah. so you know. It's, well, while it's you were at that, I was listening to John Fryer, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other two names. I just happen to know John. Yeah. Uh, talking about addiction and recovery and the representation. Yes. I yeah. mean, that's amazing. Yes. I mean, like, I've never if heard those a conversation didn't run simultaneously. I would have yeah. seen both of them, right. and I couldn't. I'm like, I can't be in two places at once. Yeah. But I wanted very much to to sort of know what that one was about because just the listing of it. Yeah. The, just the description. I'm like, this is fascinating so yep. i had to pick one i'm like well i'll go do i'll do this one and it'll be fine you know right. but it, it's gonna be great because i'm gonna interview her for uh for humble arts foundation oh, that's awesome i'm gonna interview john fryer on saturday see it's a win <laughs> it is a it's big win absolute win awesome. oh my god but yeah but that's it so far so well, thank you for thank this opportunity you. oh no, this, this has been great amazing and john feinstein is totally missing out yeah john. not here <laughs> We'll connect, John. We'll do it again some other time. <laughs> right. no, but, but yeah, thank you so much for this ah, opportunity. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, bye, everyone. Bye. bye.